You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. everybody. This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois, and thanks for joining our program here this morning. E- taping today to air, or taping on Friday to tear on Monday, Martin Luther King uh, Day, because uh, the building here is closed on Monday. So uh, we have an interesting lineup uh, this morning talking about uh, some of the things that have been going on at the federal and state level. Um, a lot of it, obviously, is related to uh, coronavirus and um, what's going on with uh, policymakers' response to it. Um, just on a, a brief note, a uh, lot of changes in Springfield this past week. Uh, have a new Speaker of the House, um, Representative Chris Welch, just uh, uh, selected by his peers to be the new Speaker. Long-term Speaker Mike Madigan is no longer uh, the Speaker of the House, since that brings a lot of changes uh, to the legislature. We'll be talking about that in our next program. And uh, so many other uh, things coming up on the new year here. But uh, what we want to do this morning is kind of sort of review what's happened in the past couple weeks and then chart a course going forward uh, about some opportunities that Congress has made available to us, as well as um, what the response has been um, for our uh, Congress has been response to helping our Catholic schools and uh, our Catholic parishes. And I think it's overall good news. Um, so let's go over the lineup here to this morning. We'll talk with Jennifer Daniels. Jennifer is the Associate Director for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. She's going to talk to us about some of those uh, changes at the federal level that are going to assist Catholic schools and parishes. Then we're going to move uh, more local and talk to uh, Justin Lombardo. He's been very involved with um, actually administering the changes that have allowed Catholic schools to continue operating since the outbreak of the pandemic, um, since the return to school back in September. And Justin's going to join us at about mm, 20 after. And then finally, we'll close the show with uh, a success from the recently concluded lame duck session in Springfield. Abe Scar, he's the state director of Illinois PERG, which is an interest group that has to do with uh, advocating against predatory loan applic- uh, businesses. And we, we uh, were successful, um, along with his organization, to put some caps on um, what can be charged for a predatory uh, payday loan. So anyway, um, that'll be at about, ooh, let's do that about 20 till the hour, I guess. And then I'll make some comments maybe about, uh, if time permitting, about where we're going with the state legislative session this year, as if anybody knows what's going to happen in the legislative session this year. So um, without further ado, let's bring in our first guest. Our first guest is Jennifer Daniels. Um, she has some title, uh, director, associate director uh, of public policy at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. She is the person we go to on a lot of issues, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about what Congress just did uh, in December, I think it was. Jennifer, are you with us? Yes. Hi there. Hey, good morning. Good to uh, good talk morning. to you again. Um, if it's not via email, uh, all your many updates to us all across the country. And thank you for uh, just taking some of your Christmas uh, break there in December to uh, keep us all apprised and advocate for uh, Catholic schools in our parishes. Um, Jennifer, most of your work is in the education realm, right? Correct. 
Yes. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. If, if you are you, you're not director of public policy. You're education, correct? I think I'm getting the wrong title, but whatever. Right. So I am associate associate director for public policy, but within the Secretariat Got of it. Catholic Education. Good. Good. So my uh, little brain is correct, thinking I, I associate you with education. So good. I'm right. on the right track. So I was going to call you about other <laughs> issues now. So you just got out of some work, Jennifer. Tell us a little bit about um, what our fearless leaders in Congress did back in. Uh, it was December, right? It was right before Christmas, if I recall, about the uh, um, they did help. They tried to help, I think, um, both parishes and, and, and Catholic schools by additional funding. Yeah, absolutely. So um, they obviously our schools did participate in the CARES Act that was um, passed back in the spring. But many of our schools um, experienced problems with the implementation of that and limited access. And in fact, some of our schools didn't get any funding at all under that program. So we were working for a different model the second go around. And what we really wanted was a set aside dedicated uh, grant fund that would be specifically for non-public schools that would not uh, have the opportunity for some of the um, limitations that we experienced in the past. And so we were um, advocating for um, a percentage of whatever that fund that went to all education would be designated for non-public schools. And what we ended up with was $2.75 billion. And this was given in the form of the governor's emergency fund. And so the money was given at the state level and will be implemented at the state level uh, separate from all other K-12 programs um, exclusively for the non-public schools. So the first time we did this back in the spring, I think it was um, when the first CARES Act passed right after the pandemic, um, there was some money in the first CARES Act put uh, aside for, for non-public schools. But I think what that's what you're saying. We had some problems with that and the way it was the guidelines for it coming out of both Congress and from the United States, United States Department of Education. At the end of the day, it, it, I think it resulted in our inability for us to, to capture what we were kind of hoping we would sort of get a little bit more money than we actually did. Yeah, absolutely. When the funding first came out, there was a provision called equitable services, which means a share, an equitable share of the funding is supposed to go to non-public schools. But they did, in the language, designate the funding allocations at the state level to be calculated exclusively on a low-income student count, um, which would target the money to to states and and districts based on that low-income count. Where there was the question was, okay, well, how do you count the the non-public schools or students within the non-public schools? And initially, the guidance came out saying that, well, all children should be counted and included. Um, And there was a series of lawsuits and a lot of political fighting. And it was then changed after implementation had begun to say that only Catholic or private schools that had participated and had students that qualified for uh, the Title I program, which is a program designated uh, for for academic improvement for low-income children, uh, that is the count that would determine allocations for equitable services for non-public schools, um, which, you know, we were are always fine for, you know, giving additional help to our low-income schools. But in fact, this created huge kind of bureaucratic barriers uh, and tied emergency response funds to 
previous participation in this program as opposed to ensuring that all children had access to these health and safety measures that were provided in the corona package. So it did end up with um, you know, some of our schools being completely excluded from the CARES Act. So it seems this time around, the one that passed in December under, I'll just label it, you know, CARES Act number two, um, yeah. it seems like this is just a, a little bit um, easier for us to access that money. Um, now, but the governors do have to apply for that money. So if the governor doesn't apply, then nothing happens, correct? Correct. The yeah. deadline for governors to apply is February 8th, and it is vital that our state and local leaders um, work with their uh, governor's office to get that application in on time um, so that we can participate. And we are working on that here in Illinois, just so everybody knows. <laughs> this is one of the things I spent my day yesterday doing, and we're, we're, we're making progress, but we, we don't know yet. So let's hope and pray that uh, Governor Pritzker does apply for that money. Do you, Jennifer, do you have any idea how much money that could potentially be in, in like, like maybe per per student or something like that? Is, is there any projections on what that $2.75 billion comes down to? Well, as with everything Congress does, it's not right. uh, clean and simple. Uh, to target the funds to low-income children again, which, you know, we have we have always supported um, extra help for low-income students. But there's also another provision that says that the governors should target the funds to the schools that are deemed in the most need, which is incredibly subjective and not really thoroughly explained. <laughs> so um, it, it will, you know, the application itself that the uh, schools submit on behalf, you know, of uh, the that they're requesting to participate, they will need to demonstrate, you know, show that need themselves. So uh, that could be in the form of, um, we just got guidance literally today from the United States Department of Education that helped explain that a little bit more. Um, And they cited, uh, you know, a loss of enrollment or expenditures that they used to reopen their schools or to convert to an online learning. So um, it will be up to the states to clarify that for our schools, but there are um, these kind of weighted mm-hmm. criteria within the application that makes it a little bit less clear. However, if you just do, you know, kind of the simple math, right. you know, yeah. the amount of money divided up by the number of children, yeah. you know, I think a ballpark range would be maybe between $400 and $600 okay. per student could That's- be... An, a possible average, you know, yeah. taking, not taking into account all of this waiting that would be done. Yeah, I mean, that, that it, whatever. I mean, even in that ballpark figure, you know, if you have a school of what two hundred kids, that's um, you know, yeah. that's, that's real money. That's uh, what eighty thousand dollars. Is that right? Or am I doing out um, one, two, three, four? Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, and and that goes to PPE, uh, you know, uh, personal mm-hmm. protective equipment, cleaning supplies. And as we're going to talk with our next guest, I mean, the amount of money that's been outlaid is significant um, to, right. to keep these children in school and make sure there's, the schools are clean and, and all those things you have to do that, that <laughs> no one's ever had to do before, uh, not to mention um, adjusting of space and that kind of thing. So, right. in and the, so let me just add that one really important uh, new provision of this legislation that was not a part of the CARES Act, that our schools can actually apply for reimbursement for the funds that they have spent out-of-pocket that are COVID-related. So that is an important part of the application is them submitting that information and and requesting to get reimbursed for those expenses. Um, Now, due to the language that says, you know, we are not, uh, uh, the control of funds stays with the governors and we're not direct recipients of federal funding, things that get reimbursed 
then uh, do uh, really become the property of the state. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Because we're not allowed to receive those direct funding. Uh, if you purchase computers, um, those computers will then become the property of the state um, because they have been reimbursed under this under this process. Yeah, so we're going to have to be diligent on and vigilant on watching what that money gets spent for. Um, yeah, that, mm-hmm. that's with every program, no matter what it is, but I think that's the case here. There's kind of a uh, an interesting wrinkle, though, in the, uh, I'm going to once again describe this as the CARES Act, too, um, but parishes are going to have to do some uh, calculating because they have an option. Um, they can mm-hmm. take another PPP loan, or they can take this money that you've described, part of the education system. I, I suppose this only pertains to parishes with schools that have to make this kind of calculation. But so what what what's going on now is um, with further information coming out, I think uh, individual parishes are going to have to determine whether it's most advantageous to seek a, another PPP loan or mm-hmm. the education money that you just outlined, because you cannot do both. That was one of correct. the wrinkles in the in the in Co- CARES Act number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. And there are you know a ton of factors to that the mm-hmm. schools and parishes will need to look at. I mean, first and foremost is that the uses of the funds are almost completely different. So it, the PPP is targeted towards salaries, most first and foremost. Yeah, um, being able to pay teachers, you cannot do that with the. Uh, uh, emergency, the, the governor's fund, I'll call it the governor's mm-hmm. fund. Um, and so that money is specifically tied more to health and safety measures and precautions that are taken for our students and addressing some of the academic need that might have come from, you know, COVID-related closures and things like that. So that would be kind of, you know, the first thing that they would want to look at is, is what is the need that that school and parish has. Yeah, and, and these are things that people are going to have to start getting on pretty quickly because uh, those deadlines are now going to s- start creeping up on folks. But we still have a little bit of time, but it's a decision that has to be made out there. So with that said, we thought we were uh, uh, we're very grateful um, for your work and for Congress uh, to uh, keep in mind the needs of, of non-public schools and, and, and parishes and the PPP loan. And now we have, uh, as of what, yesterday, the announcement of um, President-elect Biden's, what, are we, what is he on, $1.9 trillion uh, <laughs> coronavirus relief plan. So is there any talk now of, of additional funding or, or do we, where's where this money coming from? <laughs> I want to, I want to be there. Um, uh, so yeah. your, your taxpayer dollars. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a little daunting to think about what we're doing here, but so is there any further talk now of, of additional relief or do you think this could be it or is it still in the soup? Well, there was no specific mention of non-public schools in the document that the Biden team released. So the short answer is we don't know. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't explicit language saying that we can't participate. So um, that's where we are at at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see where, where this goes from here. It seems to me like what, what your um, statement is that it, it, it appears that this is more the, the, the round that was just recently talked about, and it's just talk at this stage. I think it's just it's nothing more than just a press release and, and his comments that um, it, it seems to me it's mostly going towards um, unemployment insurance extension. Um, I think there was talk about raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour mm-hmm. um, and, and then increasing the amount of money that individuals get from the current $600 
that was just approved in two, uh, it would go up to $2,000. So it would be an additional $1,400 per person, I suppose. Is that what that is that what I understand? Mm-hmm. And is it the same criteria they're going to use or has that even been talked about yet? So- yeah, we we have what we have seen up to this point is just kind of a, a summary okay. narrative of the plan. Not there is there's not legislative language that I've seen yet that goes into all of that level of detail. Specifically, for education, it's a in dollars for education that was itemized in his plan, which is um, our last one was eighty billion dollars, and the one before that was fifty billion, a little over fifty billion dollars. So now we're looking at one hundred and seventy billion dollars yeah. for education. Is um is is it been your experience? Just um, you've been very involved with this, and uh, the the updates we get from USCCB, from Jennifer, and from her colleagues are, are very good. Is it been just out of curiosity in this coronavirus environment? Um, working from home and not being in the office very much and communicating with people on Capitol Hill and the administration and, and with members of Congress, is it added a complexity that that normally wouldn't be there for you? I mean, it, the, the, the way we're communicating is so different today. I'm just curious if you have any take on, on how it's been for you. Um, I would say it's been easier. Really? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, um, when I when we go to Capitol Hill and we want to have meetings, you know, the physical act of just getting there, you know, it's a, our, our building is about a 20-minute drive yeah. from the United mm-hmm. States Capitol. you got to park. you got to walk. These are very large buildings. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, one meeting on Capitol Hill that normally lasts about 15, 20 minutes on average, you know, takes a good hour of my time to, like, Interesting. get that yeah. accomplished, whereas – you know, these past weeks, sometimes I've had five, six, seven Capitol Hill meetings back to back, back to back, back to back over the phone or over Zoom. And, you know, we're able to accomplish a lot um, in a short amount of time. Now, that being said, there's, you know, nothing that does replace those good personal relationships that you develop. There's, you know, usually not as much kind of chat and getting to know you on a Zoom call as there might have been in person. So we do, do we do miss that? But I will say, um, you know, our our government staff that we work with, whether it's in the administration or on Capitol Hill, I mean, they have definitely been working around the clock. And yeah. um, the leadership of our Office of Government Relations, you know, they, they've been working around the clock um, and are just, you know, constantly, constantly having conversations back and forth. So. And, and it's funny because I was just talking to one of my colleagues coming in, and, and now you're going to go through the same thing that we, we go through here all too often is now you have a whole new set of relationships that you have to build come January 20th, yeah. the new administration coming in. So it's just it, for, for people who do what Jennifer does and what I do, this is the things we deal with. And it sounds sort of trite, but it is it takes some time to develop relationships with people in the incoming administration. And then those you've built with the outcoming administration, that's over. And so it's it's just this awkward right. time for a lot of us. And we were experiencing that here, um, changes in the General Assembly. And now, I, I don't know if you heard my opening comment, but our Speaker of the House has been mm-hmm. is leaving after 36 years in that office. So, yeah, it's, wow. it's, a, it's a very interesting time. Um, and, and we're all doing this kind of electronically. <laughs> it's awkward. Well, yeah, and we have, you know, with the, with the Senate changing, all of the committees are going to right. change. Right, there you go. New committee chairman. Right. That means all the, all the staff leaves the committee we get new committee staff so um we've got a lot a lot of changes yeah exactly you know just figuring out that's why i'm so glad we have such a wonderful team in the office of government relations the ccb because they know how to find those find the right person and 
um, make sure we're talking to the right person on a, on a specific issue. And there'll be lots and lots of lists coming out. And yeah. we gotta, you know, <laughs> we don't even know who all of the members of the committees are going to be at this point. So. That's right. Yeah. Just to make, and, and, and then, oh, by the way, you got to allocate a $1.9 trillion on top of that. Okay, yeah. sure. <laughs> all in a day's work. Jennifer, thanks so much for taking some time this morning. Uh, we enjoy your insights. We enjoy your updates. And thanks and keep up the great work. Thanks so much. Thank you for all you do. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Don't go away, everybody. We'll be right back. We're going to talk to Justin Lombardo. He's the guy that uh, implements some of these changes that have Jennifer has been uh, advocating for funding for. So uh, we're going to talk to Justin here in a minute. Don't go away. We'll be right back.